Hello, and welcome back to the Odd Week Podcast, number 92, if you're keeping track at home, or if you're just looking at the numbers on the website, which the numbers are there, so you don't really need to keep track. But if you do, it's 92. You're here with me, Wesley Wren, Graham Kozak's right across from me. Hi. Andrew Stoy is next to him. Hello. And Natalie Neff Hello. is right next to me, which only can mean a handful of things. One, that we're recording a podcast. Two, that we're back with Auto Week Talks, the yeah. second installment of the Auto Week Talks. Yes, we are. Natalie, you can uh, kick us off from there. What's, right. what's the topic today? Uh, the topic this week. Ooh, this, that's right. It's a week. All week long has been time and the various ways that um, all of our staffers have riffed on the topic of time as related to cars and automotive lifestyles and all of that. And I thought one of the most interesting angles that um, one of our guys took on looking at time <coughs> as relates to um, cars is Graham Kozak's story on car clocks. It's a little obvious. Um, there were some, you know, more cosmic stories out there. But, but um, so on the nose, yeah. I think it's easy to overlook. Well, because, you know, we were talking about Project Cars last week in our um, first Auto Week Talks, and it got me kind of thinking, I've never had a classic car, you know, pre-quartz clock, you know, digital era with a functioning clock. Um, and we did an informal poll around the office, and it turns out that none of us have ever really had a, you know, pre-quartz era car clock that works, um, which seems kind of weird because we like to make sure, you know, I think most of us are more concerned with getting things running um, than, you know, the last little things a lot of times, but they're pretty obvious. They're in the dashboard. They're very visible for a reason. To be, uh, to be frank, I don't know how to read a clock. So okay, well, it's, it's a moot point for me. You what, and my seven-year-old. What, so. what, what do the big hands and the little hands mean? Anyway, continue. So I started digging into it a little bit, and there's actually a lot more going on with these things than I had uh, had thought. Um, you know, the early car clocks were wind-ups, right, just like a regular wristwatch or mantle clock. clock. But watch, then yeah. by the post-war era, they had uh, switched to these kind of interesting, complicated, um, electrically driven mechanical clocks. Um and, you know, there's nothing super fancy about them. They made them by the tens, if not hundreds of millions. Um, and to try to figure out why they always seem to be dead by the time somebody, you know, decades later gets an uh, old car, I called up uh, Jerry McGain of the Clockworks, which has been in business since the mid-80s, kind of late 80s as a full-time gig for this guy. He's out in Wisconsin. And he says he's handled 36,000 car clocks since he uh, started going into business. So obviously, somebody out so somebody there is, does yeah. care about their clock exactly. in their vintage car to send and, it to him. You know, he said a lot of times it's guys who are going for, you know, the Bloomington Gold Corvette world or, you know. A nice concourse restoration. Yes, he pointed out if you have a car that's, you know, 99 points done and the, the clock is not working in the dash, it does start to stand out at that point. Whereas for the rest of us, you know, just occasional use fun old cars. We're not maybe necessarily too worried about that stuff. But he basically has it down to a science where he says he can basically tear a clock down and rebuild it in about an hour. Um, so they're not super complicated devices. Um, but yeah, he had some interesting insights. And you know, I won't go over all of them. You'll have to read the story to get all the, the details. But but basically, these things were built to a, a, a price, not a standard. They were never super high quality you know, timepieces like the $160,000 clock you can get on your Bentayga yeah. these days. Uh, you know, they were kind of mass-produced, consumer mass-produced um, and 
you know, they would burn out after you have to lubricate them, which nobody I've never heard of a maniac who actually lubricates the clock in, in their car. You're lucky if people lubricate the ball joints. Right. Yeah. And, or, uh, or, or, the, or, or the oil in the engine. Yeah. But he said, like an engine, if you run them without lubrication, they start to, you know, go out of spec. There's a lot of metal on metal contact, unlike a nice wristwatch that has jewels for low friction surfaces. And once they start to go out of out of um uh, out of spec and the pins start to wander and drift things bind up and they die and by the time i buy a 48 packard you know 60 some years later you know 70 years later or whatever you know it's a wonder that the car is running let alone that the clock is broken. Yeah. so um yeah it was interesting uh the good thing about the fact that they were mass produced in such high numbers was that it makes for people like him who have been buying these things and fixing them for so long, parts availability is very high. You know, a lot of the times I would hesitate to even think about getting the clock fixed because uh, where am I going to get parts for a Packard yeah. clock? Well, it was also parts for a uh, Ford clock. You know, chances are pretty good. Yeah, so, I mean, he mentions that there are only really two major... For American ma- cars. For American yeah. cars, two main clock makers. So because of that, you can send him, and there are other services, but he's just the one I talked to. Um, he can turn a clock around in a week, basically. But, you know, it takes him a few hours maybe to, to get it back fixed. But obviously that's ignoring any sort of cosmetic restoration. that might Right. Yeah. Some. So the, the face and the hands, you know, that's that's tough because those were all model specific. Yeah. But yeah, well, I mean, the guts of it. Stuff. Yeah, right. But the, the guts of it, getting the thing actually running. Like I have car clocks that are, they look very nice. They've just never ticked as far as I know. Um, so... And even though this may be the last thing you do before a Concorde restoration, it's not r- expensive like that. I mean, he's, yeah. he's actually quite reasonable. He said he starts at about 50 bucks for a 12-volt, you know, You're clock. kidding me. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you pay shipping or whatever, but so start starting like at, the, okay. you know, as long as it's simple. But it did not seem like a very um, expensive ordeal. It's not like sending a tube radio. Yeah. And, oh, thing. I don't know, man. Well, we can't give you a quote till, uh, you know, we get, we get, we get it our in. hands on yeah. it and blah, blah, blah. And it ends up being thousands of dollars. No, he has a pretty straightforward. I mean, he's done so many of them that he has a good sense of what it's going to cost. And yeah, I mean, he said, oh, we can we can usually expedite it. You know, if you really need it, you know, do one day turnaround. It's like it'll cost you, you know, an extra 20 bucks. It's like <laughs> <laughs> so he said a lot of guys opt for that. So um, but if everybody opts for that, then right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and, and that that's why it's like for me the hardest thing will probably be getting it out of the yeah, dash and yes, sending it yeah. to him. I mean, I should have done it when I was rewiring the car. If had I known that there were services like this where I could just send it off and for yeah. under a hundred bucks have this thing working. So if both of your Packards not do either of them have clocks at work? No, nope. Andy, your Alpha. The Alpha's dead as a dead as a post. The van have a clock in it? Do you know? Uh, I don't think so. No. That, was a, that was a work truck, work yeah, van. So uh, I, had, I can't. I'm trying to envision the yeah. dashboard. No, I don't believe it does. The uh, only clock in that van was the person who was yelling at the other person to yeah. get work done. Yeah, that's fair. But Graham, I just I was showing Andy the poll that you put on your uh, story. Is tracking, you know, more people with working clocks in their old cars than not? So I, that's interesting. N- not to disrespect our listeners. I smell some liars. Yeah, I should have said, oh. "Be honest." Does the clock work? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think maybe this speaks to the uh, the Auto Week reader. Oh, maybe fastidiousness. It, quite possibly. And also, I did not realize um, until I started doing some research that yeah, like with with your van, Andy, clocks weren't a given. It, it I mean, as a Packard owner, I didn't <laughs> know what what that's like. But yeah, they they were kind of a 
in a lot of cases cost extra feature, which yeah. I mean, I can I can remember in the early '80s, my dad buying a, a Honda Civic. I think it was probably '82, '83, and th- there was some of the models on the on the showroom floor had blackout plates, plates. blackout yeah. plates mm-hmm. over the clock. The clock was the digital clock was an extra cost option. I mean, most of the time would be baked into whatever trim line, but uh, at least in the Ford world, you could line item delete whatever you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> If you didn't want a radio, but you wanted the most expensive, uh, I guess, 55 Ford Sunliner, you don't want a radio, all right, you just save 80 bucks. But then there were the other op, like General Motors, a lot of times they would put a giant clock in where a more expensive instrument yeah. oh, should live, right. yeah. like a tachometer or something. Because so you don't need to see how the engine's going. You right. just need to see you, the, you get the those, time. If the light doesn't come on, <laughs> you don't need to worry about it. But yeah, I mean, this guy uh, with the clockworks is just one example of this incredible worldwide web of cottage industries that are devoted to getting cars back up and running and it's fascinating i mean you could do a story on one of these guys every week and never yeah. run out so um yeah i mean consider it i'm definitely looking at my cars and thinking should i just dig at least yeah, one of these clocks out and, it's definitely got my my uh the alpha clocks coming out in the spring uh, but i i will add the one thing he said um and he stressed this, and I don't think it was just to sell battery disconnects uh, on his site, which he does sell. Um, he said if you if you disconnect the clock or battery when you're not yeah. running the car, which for a lot of these old cars, that's often. you don't use them very often. He said that's the big thing that really kills these. Um, in addition to the lack of lubrication, it's there's a little solenoid that fires, and that's what winds the the clock up. And if if you have a car that sits and sits, and you only drive it once a month, and the yeah. battery depletes, you get to a low voltage situation where It'll it won't have enough juice to fire, but the points will be closed, I guess, and it'll it'll just fry the little coil that's built in there. So that's that's probably the reason a lot of these burned out in the first place is from sitting. Sitting, the battery runs down, gets stuck open, and just fries it. So also, it could save you from having to charge your battery every three months. I mean, a flooded battery is going to discharge anyway, but uh, without any of that parasitic drag from that clock, which has to draw (laughs) milliamps of electricity. Uh, but cool. You can read all about that and slightly more on autoweek.com. And vote in the poll. Come on. I know, yeah. you, be I know you non-functioning clock owners are out there. Don't make us look bad. Help help support the, the, the slacker That's true. Cause. They don't have a functioning clock. They're probably not going to bother voting in the poll either. <laughs> Maybe this is more the type of people who vote on internet polls. Um, but time also got me thinking or got us thinking in this production meeting. Yes, there are production meetings. I know. I know. Um, about different eras because we're all kind of rooted in a, like a decade of cars-ish. Where at least that's how I think of my life is rooted in a certain decades of cars. And I think this could be a good forum to uh, talk about why we like and appreciate the decade of cars that we do. Obviously, we don't only like one decade of cars. That would be insane. We love all the cars. All the cars are great. But we have that one special place in our heart for a certain span of time. Who wants to kick off? Graham? Me? Okay, you, can, well, you, can, you, can, you can jump on in. Well, I, the way we framed it when we were talking about it in the production meeting um, was a little bit different, but I'll, I'll stay to that track. And, okay, perfect. Uh, you know, I, I kind of have always been interested in cars from the 20s. Um, and also for this Auto Weeks talk, I wrote about a 25 Lancia Lambda that was headed to auction. Um, and I think what draws me to that era is that the more you start to learn about these things, the more you start to realize how modern a lot of them were in various ways. The car had kind of gone from a the horseless carriage era. A buggy with a motor. Yeah, and mass production was around. I mean, the Model T was obviously, you know, 1909 or whatever. Um, but by the 20s, you were starting to see some really modern stuff happening in fits and starts. But 
this 25 Lancia that I wrote about um, was actually like the fifth series of a model introduced in 1922. And it was um, four-wheel drum brakes. Drums, not discs, obviously, but four-wheel brakes, uh, a narrow-angle V4 motor, which oh. is like overhead oh. overhead uh, cam. I gotta, I'll have to check that. So it's basically a Volkswagen. Uh, well, except front engine, rear-wheel drive. Okay. I mean, but like a, well, a VR6 is what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, and monocoque body construction. Oh. Um, there was that is no, ahead of its time. no frame under it. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it was it, it, like it, it wasn't, it was the first car to have, oh, and independent front suspension. Mm. It was the first car that, you know, had that monocoque construction for sure. Um, other parts of it had appeared on earlier cars, but the way it brought all those things together into a car that was kind of a modded success, it's, it's, a modern car basically yeah. i mean mm-hmm. in a lot of ways in a lot of ways it's not um it still looks like a kind of spindly old car but um you were starting to see all this stuff that you know we would now appreciate especially the idea of having a big car with a small motor um i mean we're seeing that a lot now yeah so uh you know four four cylinder full-size luxury cars are kind of a reality now so i mean that's what this thing was yeah. in 1925 and i guess you did bring up a point we did talk about when the car entered modernity like the modern, the when did the modern car really evolve? But I did, I wanted to make it a greater scope than that. But also, let's let's stick with that. Andy, what do you uh, what, what are you throwing in this? Well, I think if you're going to go for uh, for when the automotive uh, era really began, I mean, I think the '50s was what you were yeah. going to discuss too. Right? Oh yeah. I mean, so why don't we hit on okay. that next? Right. And then right. I'll because I mine's a dark horse. Okay, so I'll go next. Um, it so, was a single overhead cam. So ooh, I just wanted yeah, to so, yeah, yeah. Launch yeah. V4 was in production for a while. Um, so I wrote a f- a little ditty on autoweek.com about this so if you want to dive even further into this rabbit hole you're more than welcome but uh for the longest time i've looked at the modern car the essence of the modern car really originating in the 1950s now that spans of course from like 1948 to 1963 it's kind of when the 50s ended it was a a long decade Uh, numbers are are meaningless but the 50s introduced many of the creature comforts that you don't even acknowledge today like ball joints uh, a suspension that would articulate with ball joints, keeping the tire to the pavement opposed to kingpins. 50s, baby. Obviously, there's probably sh- examples before mm-hmm. that, but it, it became a fair use, like a common use in the 50s. Chevy in 55, Ford in 54. You can jot that one down. Um, but air conditioning really came into cars, of course, before the war and Packards and Cadillacs as an upfit. But you started getting that in the 50s. The Hemi, 1951. Uh, power seats, power windows. Power brakes, uh, power steering, all these creature comforts and then designs. The fender over wheel design that's incorporated into the body didn't really exist until 1949. I mean, again, it did a little bit, but uh, not. Uh, yeah, I mean, with any of this stuff, mm-hmm. you can find examples of it before, but yeah. we're talking about when it became. Con- like common. Yeah. A, a common design trend, a common use trend. Um, overhead valve engines, V8s of varying displacement, horsepower, lots of horsepower, getting over the 130 horsepower hump. That a lot of people faced uh, pre-war, if you were buying a, an entry-level car. Yeah, I don't know. Like radios, clocks, all that stuff really became uh, popular and common in the fifties, and then of course, evolved. But the fir- like the first EFI, nineteen fifty-eight. Yeah, now that's that's an interesting story. Can you go into that a little bit more? Because that yeah, there's an interesting twist that probably you could write a, a um, book about. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Uh, but in nineteen fifty-seven, American Motors. The fabulous American Motors, you know, Nash, all those fun guys. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> the g- great, great group of guys over there. Uh, they're still in business, right? Jeep is. 
So, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, beautiful. They kind of live on. Uh, they talked to the folks at Bendix who made a fuel injection system for airplanes because that was necessary. We needed an electronic fuel injection system for airplanes, high altitude situations, varying altitudes, varying temperatures. Um, and it only makes sense to add that to a car. Uh, unfortunately, the folks at American Motors couldn't figure out how to make it work. And neither could Chrysler, who uh, introduced it to the public. <laughs> That's uh, basically the same system. Um, this was, was the electrojector. The system. Bendix electrojector system, yep. Uh, dual throttle bodies, uh, intake air temperature sensor, throttle position sensor, uh, coolant temp sensor. It basically functioned, it has an f- electric fuel pump that feeds to a fuel regulator, that feeds to a fuel rail, which has sequential fuel injection, or port fuel injection. It works basically like uh, a port fuel injection system. Uh, only downside is they didn't quite have the computer technology to make it work. Well, you, you said it... it did work. It did work. Yeah, and it, it does work. And pr- it, yeah, but not once it got out in the public, which was kind of the <laughs> yeah the, 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 the little problem there. So Chrysler made thirty five cars for customers, which uh, might have been a little. They might have jumped the gun a little bit. They didn't exactly test these uh, in normal use conditions because uh, all thirty five apparently failed miserably. Like the minute people took them home, they would have severe uh, hiccups with the car running it. The car would just bog down. It would, wouldn't fire off. It would just stall. Um, so Chrysler being Chrysler, they sent out techs. And if, if you couldn't bring the car to dealership, they sent a tech to you to put dual carbs on whatever car you bought. It was across the product line. So Chrysler, DeSoto, Plymouth, and Dodge. Um, so a couple different engines for those. But uh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, all the cars were recalled and all 35 of them. And they don't exist anymore. Hmm. Except for the people that worked at Chrysler that stole the systems, put them on shelves, and uh, tracked the cars. Well, the people that own the cars tracked. Uh, there's at least one example of a Soto Adventure convertible that tracked down a full, complete electrojector system and uh, made it function through ways of changing the uh, computer, the brain box, the uh, little controller, which had uh, wax paper uh, capacitors, which were prone to EMF interference. Which is why it worked in the, in what, the lab when yeah. they were testing it. But once you got it out into the radio, Get radio signals, filled, neon yeah. signs, even all that stuff that creates noise, it made the uh, computer, the rudimentary computer, very confused. And over the air updates were not a not a thing. No, I mean, then, so well, the problem was it, it was getting over the air yeah. updates. <laughs> so <laughs> constant over the air yeah. updates from so everything. The, the pulse width of the injectors that was modulating too much, and it were it basically was starving from fuel. But the owner of this one. DeSoto, who has the the sole electrojector car, yeah. replaced the capacitors with modern units, and yeah. it seems like it works as designed now. Which yeah, it's kind of when I understand it, it works flawlessly, which is insane to me. But yeah, that's uh that's why I think the fit that and man, those cars, rust buckets, but whoo, whoo. Speaking of things that don't work correctly, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm taking the decade of the seventies. A much bemoaned decade. It a is. much maligned is. Yeah. malaise era. And, and I would argue um, uh, wrongfully or, or maybe misguided. Um, and I also just noticed that the clock in our uh, our podcast room here isn't working. So we, mm. need, to, we need to ship that off to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you think the 70s started out with, you know, the, the height of the muscle car. Yeah. So that's an easy part to love. 70 to 72. Mm-hmm. And then when horsepower ratings went from uh, gross to net yeah. and, and and truth started coming yeah, out. Yeah, well, fuel injection or uh, I mean, fuel economy um, became something that people had to start thinking about due to the Arab oil embargo and stuff. But if you, you, you know, you think, well, that was the end of the good times, but let's look at the technology that came out. Now, those engineers were working with very rudimentary. Yeah, you know, their things. tools weren't. 
the tools they had available to them. And, you know, a lot of it was basically vacuum. It was almost a vacuum computer mm-hmm. trying to control these exhaust emissions on engines that were never designed uh, for this. Add-on EGR valves, uh, things like that. And I'm old enough to remember, you know, I was a child in the 70s, but I can remember the cars, contrary to popular belief, working pretty much all <laughs> of the time. You know, I, I know they, they didn't put out a whole lot of power. You know, we were back to the 130 horsepower era pretty much. Um, but, you know, I, I rode around in dad's car and grandpa's car and, and all these different, uh, you know, vehicles that were, you know, today are like Pontiac G-Body Grand Prix and Chevy Monte Carlo, 77 Monte Carlo, I remember my grandfather had with a 305. And you know what? It fired up every time we needed to go to the, uh, to the, to the grocery store and got us there. And I never remember getting stranded by any of these vehicles. Um, but again, it's what, you know, that, that, these engineers had these government regulations put upon them and had very little, you know, you, the fuel injection was still not ready for prime yeah. time at that point. You know, there were some early systems from Cadillac and, um, you know, General Motors was experimenting with them. And then, you know, early 80s, Chrysler came out with the, the Imperials fuel injection system, which was about as successful as the Bendix <laughs> electrojector. But the, the point is, I think I have a lot of admiration for what those engineers did with, uh, you know, successfully did despite, you know, contrary to popular belief with the tools they had available to them, um, you know, and, and I love, I love 70s cars. I do. And that is a big, a big, big thing to note, right? The 70s were rife or stuffed full of uh, federal requirements. They were. Whereas the 50s, it was if, anything good. If it had you know. a windshield right. that was uh, had a layer of plastic in it, you're and, good to go. And I know a lot of people in the 70s did have trouble with their cars compared to maybe the earlier days. But but for the most part, these you know the automakers that were under these regulations or having to comply by these regulations were still putting out reliable everyday yeah. drivers, you yeah. know, successfully. And if we didn't have those early implementations of EFI and stuff, yeah. we wouldn't have the technology. You wouldn't now. have it. You also have, you know, catalytic converters, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, high energy ignition came out of that era. So yeah. we're still, you know, a lot of things paved the way for the horsepower renaissance in the eighties um, from the seventies. So I think it deserves more credit than it gets. That's fair. Natalie, you're on, you're on deck. Yeah, um, I'm right on there with Andy and the 70s cars. Most uh, I'm, I'm most nostalgic about our 78 Mercury Grand Marquis and just the luxury liner that that was. Two-door, baby. It was like 40 feet long. and All steel construction. With big block, you know, that put out, what, 130, 130 horsepower, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm right there with you. But I went sort of a different direction um, in looking at what the – standout decade for me in my um in my own automotive life and that has to be the 90s because that's when I started at car magazines and my exposure to the the depth and breadth of cars that I had exposure to in 1995 when I started on at the at my first um car magazine was just mind-boggling. I, I had no idea this world of cars outside of Ford existed because, <laughs> I mean, my family owned literally nothing but Ford vehicles. Well, for... I have to beg the question, does, does it exist outside of Ford? As far as I'm concerned. You know what? If you were just to go back to our family still, no. <laughs> There's still, all, you know, my mom has graduated to a Lincoln now. Ooh, um, yeah. So she's living a good life. Um, but no, even when we bought, you know, my brother and I in our in our teen years, we cobbled together as many escorts as we could to make one functioning escort, you know. Um, so, you know, my first couple years at a car publication, 
if you think about some of the things that I got to drive, I mean, it makes it, it's one of those formative things. Like it makes an impression like ducks imprinting on a, you know, a mama. Um, I got to drive, you know, the last air cooled 911s and, um, third gen RX sevens and 300 ZX. I mean, cars that when they were new, when they were new, no, go on launches of these things and write about them when they were new. Um, and you know, they're collector cars. Now you see them at, you know, get a bargain 300 Nissan 300, whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's taking home a Viper and showing it to my brother and his friends and, um, the the anticipation because I grew up in the country and it's pickup it's like pickup truck country out there. Um, Trucksville USA. When the ninety seven F series came out with the re- round body, yes, yeah. the round body. I mean, that was like big sh- stuff. Yeah, um, and then the lightning to follow, and uh, and I went on the launch of the lightning, wow. drove that at LVMS. Um, I mean, so. I have a fondness for all of those cars that came out, you know, uh, early to mid nine, you know, the, the thick of the nineties that, um, some of the younger people coming along now are reading about, you know, as, um, cars that you can pick up for a bargain and bring a trailer or whatever. Not but, anymore. I mean, a lot of those no, are that's now, what I mean. yeah. now that the, now that they have gone through the old used car generation and now they're collectibles and gaining traction, mm-hmm. it's like. Those are the first cars that I had exposure to as an automotive journalist in this business, you know, that, and I can remember almost every single one of those um, and nothing in between (laughs) until now. Those first few years that just really, you know, stuck out to me. So, um, yeah, I'm very fond of of, uh, 90s cars for that. And that makes sense. I mean, uh, without 90s cars, we wouldn't have the cars we have today. Well, that could be argued. Uh, I mean, if they didn't yeah, make any in cars. An alternate, <laughs> in an alternative universe, there could be other cars. That's true. Um, but if you have thoughts on what cars you liked, just shoot us a note. Leave us a comment of what cars you like. And now we're going to Mark Vaughn to talk about the Consumer Electronics Show. Hello, we are back. Uh, man, the Auto Week Talk section is always... Always a good time. Uh, but now we're doing something different. We're here with Mr. Wes Reynolds in the studio. Wes, how's it going? Greetings. And we are also here telecommuting. Mr. Mark Vaughn, the legend. Mark Vaughn. How's it going, Mark? Good. Uh, but Reynolds is much of a legend as me. He's uh, exactly the same age. Vaughn, oh. did you notice that in the last week's weekend newsletter, I, I called you the king of L.A.? Yeah, I don't know what that means. I think that means everything. See, I interpret everything that's said about me as you're about to be fired. So <laughs> as, uh, as I negative. managed to get the king of L.A. into, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm losing my job next week. And uh, Raina will be there to that's, dance on my that's grave. Quite, that's quite a stretch, but okay. Well, Mark, you're losing your job as Auto Week editor and gaining a job as the king of Los Angeles. So that's a lateral move, I say. Is that a paying position? I don't. I don't know. We'll discuss that <laughs> offline. <laughs> but you're here digitally, and Wes is here physically to talk about the Consumer Electronics Show, CES. Now, I heard there's some new VCRs that they debuted. <laughs> uh, seems pretty See, that's funny. That's funny because uh, Wesley Wren is in the new generation of young <laughs> tech-savvy kids. <laughs> I, and 
For Raynal, Raynal and I still have VCRs at home. I actually do have a VCR at home. Can I and borrow I'm, it? I'm thinking of going up to a compact disc, the laser disc. I hear that's the new the thing Blue coming. Ray? The Blu-ray? Yeah, and the, the... Beta, the Beta Max thing. I'm I'm hoping to make that transition. But, now, uh... now, the Beta Max, is that just a really big beta fish? Or is that... <laughs> All right, anyway. No, CES, CES. They do cars at CES. They've been doing cars for a while. Um, Mark, you were there. Mark... What what happened over there, bud? Well, in my opinion, the coolest thing was not a car, but a helicopter. All right. Uh, All right. I like helicopters. Uh, now, last year, as as I'm sure you'll remember, uh, Bell, the helicopter maker, uh, showed a uh, sort of a uh, VTOL, vertical takeoff or landing or whatever that stands for. And that thing was a big hit, and it was a life-size mock-up. Uh, that was back in a slightly different form this year, but... The, the really cool thing was that Hyundai made a uh, one of those things, and it was 50 feet across, a wingspan of 50 feet. It had like eight, uh, what do they call them, nacelles, uh, little uh, um, propellers inside okay. a, a circle. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the aerospace engineers are going, no, it's called a... Well, I don't know what it's called, but uh, <clears throat> it had eight of those, and some of the, and four of those eight had uh, two props on them so that's a total of 12 propellers lifting this thing up um now why and that why the heck well oh go continue sorry no no well the thing is uh they are uh, partnering with uber well to the extent that uber would partner with them i I think uber is just exploiting a bunch of of manufacturers (laughs) to make these things so uber is uh partnering with uh, about eight different manufacturers to make these and the idea is to uh revolutionize commuting as we know it so they'll show um, uh, they showed a, a little diagram of the city of San Francisco where you take these commuter pod things to the uh, not the spaceport and not the airport, but uh, whatever they call it. Uh, and and you, you jump into this and it flies you over the bay and drops you in San Francisco. Uh, so it eliminates in theory, it's going to, you know, cut back on the commuter congestion. But in practice, I don't see how that's possible because there's like millions of people commuting every day in every direction. And you're not going to have millions of these things flying through the air. But so it's one of those things that, in my cynical opinion, is uh, kind of a really it's cool to look at, like like reading popular science in the 60s. You know, we're all going to have jetpacks. <laughs> you know, you started out saying that this was the coolest thing at CES and now you've talked yourself completely out of that. And I, now I it's now it. it's like sort of cool and eh, maybe not really. Well, no, it's a cool idea, and I would really like to see these things and ride in one, but I don't see it revolutionizing uh, commuter transportation. Uber has said, Uber cost. says that every time they Uber says they're going to revolutionize something every time they a rain hits the windshield. It's just I don't even think their pick up and drop off is sustainable business model. So let's see how long they last <laughs> before they uh, start well, it got spouting me to the, off got about. Me to, Got me to the airport. Yeah, but they didn't Vegas, make any so. money on you. Yeah, nobody made any money <laughs> out of the whole transaction. But yesterday, Toyota uh, announced that they're dropping a uh, couple hundred million dollars into a company up in the Bay Area that's doing the same thing. Um, and Toyota is not helping is helping to make or design the uh, aircraft, but it is uh, putting money into it and is going to supposedly show them the Toyota way of uh, manufacturing. So. You know, uh, it, this is for our purposes. This is all kind of interesting because it gives us something to look at 
and uh, dream about whether it ever actually comes to fruition. I mean, I, I, I loved reading Popular Mechanics, Popular Science, Mechanics Illustrated back in the day. You know, jet boots. Jet boots are coming, <laughs> and we're going to all have jet boots, and you don't have, you know, and the kid's flying to school in his jet boots. I thought my flying jet car boots. was supposed to be here by now. Well, yes, you're flying. I, I hate to break it to you, but your flying car will never be here. So give up, people. Surrender Dorothy. It's I mean, I'm just happen. going back to the popular science, uh, you know, theory of reading those when we were kids. I think I was supposed to be flying to work by now. Anyway. Now, Mark, these are going to be billed as flying cars, right? I mean, with auto manufacturers getting into the fray and trying to, you know, pile on. I, I don't, I don't, I no, they're, they're calling them okay. PTOL. Okay, so cool. they're a lot closer to helicopters. And I spoke with the Uber guy who's in charge of it. And I said, come on, man, this is never going to happen. You know it. I know it. He goes, <laughs> no, no, man, it's going to happen, man. And he cited uh, that you can uh, fly via helicopter from lower Manhattan to JFK right now. So you can punch up on your phone or something and make a reservation and, uh, you know, fly over the traffic. And I said, yeah, well, that's a helicopter. (laughs) Yeah. So I I don't know. You got to believe. And uh, that's the whole thing. You you have to, uh, Ren, you have to wipe off that cynicism. And oh, wait, no, it's me who said it. I I think it's a collective group at this point. <laughs> What's a collective group? The uh, cynicism? The, yeah, the cynicism group. Yes. At yes, least at but, least on this front. Yeah. But it's uh it it was really cool. So that I think that was the coolest thing there. And just the size of this physical mock up was huge. I'm trying to track down the company that uh built it just to write about it. Mm-hmm. I was uh roundly mocked by my colleagues at Audible <laughs> for that. Uh, but I mean, how do you even, how do you make something with a 50 foot wingspan and, and the wing actually stays up, you know, it's not held from the ceiling or something. So there had to be some engineering in that. So I try to track that down, but I have not gotten anywhere yet. So well, maybe ho- a story's coming. I hope that we can read that on autoweek.com in the near future. Um, but what else did we see at CES? I heard that Sony did something. They made a car perhaps. Raynal. Mr. Raynal? I thought that that was pretty cool. It looked very realistic. What I was most impressed with were the uh, other companies involved, like Steyr, which already makes cars and SUVs in Austria, and Bosch, and companies that Bosch had a hand are legit and know what they're doing uh, are involved in this thing. So that, to me, means it has some, a glimmer of hope. Now, Sony didn't say anything about anything, they just threw it out there and said, this is what we could do if we lined up all these suppliers. Well, you know, you could argue, I could do that too. I could line up a, bu- a bunch of suppliers and do that too. But, but you know, having Magnus Steyr involved, I think it gives it some credibility because they're already, you know, in Canada, they're a, you know assembly line away from being an automaker. And in Europe, they are an automaker. So I thought the Sony car was cool. AV... Uh, sedan, sort of like an E-class size, 5 Series size sedan. But isn't it just like a showcase, uh, like an advertisement for them saying, uh, hey, automotive makers, look at us. We can supply your dashboard componentry or whatever they're making. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what they were trying to do. And in fact, the dash was quite cool. I'm glad you brought it up. On either side of the dash, to the right and the left, were little screens, and that were your mirrors your side mirrors and, you know, integrated into the dash. I don't know. I thought the thing looked really good, but more importantly, looked very production ready. All righty. 
Where I, th- where I thought that Sony car missed its mark was a, a nod to tuner culture. They could have put a PlayStation in the car. What kind of oversight is that? Who, who didn't <laughs> sign off on that? I want a video game while uh, uh, driving my EV. Yeah, that wouldn't be distracting at all. No, it wouldn't. It, w- it would be, uh, I mean, for passengers, you know. I'm a passenger sometimes. I'm not always wheeling the things around. Uh, but that well, was... Speaking, no, go. speaking of distractions, I, I drove the uh, Viton M Ooh, yes, it moved. Okay, how did that go? It it was it not only moved I I was impressed I thought it was uh, it was finished you know they said and they and they said yeah this they're going to go on sale in China this summer so it's a few but months away so I guess it better be finished. Let's back up a second and explain to the listeners what Biden is. Biden is one of about eighty-two billion <laughs> uh, electric car startups, uh, all of which claim they're going to revolutionize you know the automobile. Um, some. Some may actually get uh, finished. Like Tesla, you know, we all thought, oh, there's no way that's going to ever happen. And it happened. And uh, so, you know, Biden is one of those. But it is actually seems to have its funding and its engineering and everything together. And I got to drive the thing. What was, was it like? Very impressed with, I, I was very impressed with it. It, um, it drove just like uh, a fully finished, fully functional car. Uh, the, uh, you know, the steering was, uh, spot on the acceleration, you went around a corner and it, it didn't squeak and flop and do any goofy things. I mean, it was as good as, uh, you know, Tesla model X or whatever you want to compare it to. And it was, uh, definitely very quiet. Now it, it starts in, uh, starts, uh, sales in China and they say that in, uh, early 2021, we'll get it here in the U S I, you know, I ain't against that. That's, uh. That's fine. I mean, it was farther along. I also drove a uh, Faraday Future, which I don't know if I don't know how they're doing, man. <laughs> I, I really uh, I, I wish them all these guys. I mean, wouldn't it be great if all these, remember? Uh, uh, of course, we don't remember. But like 120 years ago, there were car companies all over the place. There were guys, you know, if you had a barn in Indiana, you could make a car. You'd be casting your own engine in the barn and putting the car together and and there were just car makers all over the place. And if, if we get that again here in the U.S. with these electric cars or anywhere in the world, then by golly, that'd is, be uh, good good for the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. Is Faraday and Lucid the same company, like the same guys no. backing it? No. Really? I, I think I it's know. basically start... the same group of investors. I yeah. think. Uh, I, you know, I could look that up. and We're going to have to get legal on that. With an answer on that. But uh, Far- Faraday has certainly been through a lot of troubles. Uh, but they they had a they too had a, uh, a prototype there in Las Vegas. It's not as far along as the uh, Invite. Uh, it still has they still have a lot of work to do. There Faraday is claiming you know and they've they you, you don't want to you want to give them credit for hanging in there and and not uh, not giving up. But uh, they they're claiming uh, that uh, in a year or about a year. Uh, that car will be uh, for sale. It's essentially the same thing. These are all uh, large SUV crossover-ish looking things like the Rivian and uh, the Faraday and the Lucid. And uh, they're all kind of the same shape and general uh, specification. But I got to drive the Faraday too. So, I mean, it still exists. And there were guys there who who said they worked for Faraday. So I guess it's going to, you know, I guess it's going to happen. But boy, they've They've been through the ringer uh, with uh, the bankruptcy of their founder and uh, main guy, and then he he and was supposed factory. to. 
Yeah, the factory didn't get built in Las Vegas, but they have a factory in Hanford, which is not far from Bakersfield. And they say that that factory is 30 percent together. And, you know, I, the guys I talked to, they seemed sincere and they seemed to believe in the product. And I talked to, a, you know, a couple of the engineers. I did not talk to uh, the CEO. He had uh, gone back to uh, Faraday Future in uh, Gardena, California, at, by the time I got out to uh, drive the car. But uh, he he rode in that prototype all the way from Gardena to Las Vegas, like 270 something miles. And they said that once they got there, there was still 100 miles of range left on the car. So, Dang. you know, I, it it could happen. Why? Uh, why be so cynical, Ren? We're not being <laughs> cynical, but I will ask you this question, Mark, and I want your opinion. You know, it's it's fun to talk about Faraday and Lucid and Rivian and bollinger and all the rest of them but the truth is that ford is doing an ev and gmc is doing an ev under the hummer brand and you know the oems are not sitting around watching and when they get up to speed it seems to me that these smaller companies are going to be blown into dust that that's um i i agree with you i mean wouldn't you rather buy a car from a car company that's been making cars for a hundred years that knows what they're doing and knows how to, uh, you know, crank up an assembly line and has a factory and and all this other stuff. And has a dealership near you where you can take the car to get it repaired. Yeah. Well, you never have to repair electric cars. (laughs) That, that is true. Well, you know, but that's a, but Wesley makes a good point. The, you know, you can't get a Tesla serviced in Michigan. So it's funny when I go up North, and see them around up there five hours from Detroit, I often wonder what they do when there is a problem. And don't tell me there's not a problem. Teslas break down all the time. They're not very well built. And, you know, what do those guys do? It's just, I would much rather have a GMC slash Hummer or the Mustang uh, EV or something from an OEM that I can trust. I'll stick to my Detroit Electric. Detroit Electric. Yeah. No, that's true. Uh, and Tesla certainly has a long list of, uh, you know, we've all heard stories about Tesla quality. Uh, but, you know, my Mitsubishi Imiev, uh, you know, eight years running. And, uh, well, I did have to replace the battery. But How that much was, was that? It's a covered under warranty. There's like a 10-year uh, battery warranty. Oh, wow. So, that's cool. Yeah. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, at least in California, there's a, a requirement for ten years. I think it's a federal requirement. I, I think it's a federal requirement. Yeah. How many yeah. IMEFs are do you see in LA? Uh, there's three. <laughs> right. Three. Yeah. Anything yeah. else on CES we need to know? Uh, there's. I, uh, I mean, there's 47 million manufacturers vying for your attention. What there, I, there are 4,500 uh, manufacturers uh, representing various products. Yeah, like I said, 47 million. Uh, what I did want to ask, Mark, is, I mean, you're a car guy. I'm a car guy. Mr. Randall's a car guy. What's it like going to a consumer electronics show under the purview that it's a uh, now an auto show? What's 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 that like? Like what's? Well, I, I started going to this show more than 20 years ago, I think. And uh, at the time, I was walking around. I was looking for anything that had to do with cars. I mean, I actually talked to a company that made CB radios you know, and car stereos and things just to find the car angle. And then it got to be a huge car show thing. Uh, There were 12 official manufacturers a couple years ago there. I mean, everybody, Bentley, Audi, uh, 
uh, Mercedes. Uh, they had a huge presence there. There are still there is still an awful lot of uh, manufacturer participation there, and uh, it's still very much like a car show in in that you could um, you could cover it as I've been doing, as we've all been doing, just as uh, an auto show, and uh, it's just as relevant there because. Nowadays, people, when they go to buy a car, they don't say, well, does it have the upper and lower A-arm front suspension? Yeah, nobody seems to care about that so much as how, how many USB ports does it. Yeah, how big's the screen? And uh, Oh, and the, the big screen award is 48 inches for uh, the Byton M-Byte. It's, it's like huh. sitting in, a, in an aquarium in that thing. It's so cool. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's what people look for nowadays, especially people on this high-end it used to, you know, and a luxury car used to be like a, a Mercedes or a BMW or a Cadillac. And and now a luxury car seems to be for this very growing, large and growing segment of the buying population is uh, an electric conveyance loaded with technology. And we maybe wouldn't have known that before Tesla came out and suddenly became the darling of all these uh, wealthy uh, high tech millionaires. Uh, so in that sense, uh CES is an auto show with uh, a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, like uh, there's a 250-inch uh, diagonal uh, TV screen now, which was the biggest one Dang. at CES this year. How, but, how, how uh, did, you, did, you get, did you see it in person? I didn't see that one, but you've see, you see them before. You know, I've seen them in, in years before. Okay. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're huge, and they, they draw most of the power from the small <laughs> town that you live in. I was going to say, that's so, almost and, as big as the custom one I had made. <laughs> not yeah. quite though so uh, you know, all your neighbors you know the defibrillator that your neighbor needs <laughs> to keep alive it won't work uh, but you are watching you know mega huge uh, screen in your living room so that chili bowl uh, dirt track race is live and in charge in my house chili bowl all so, right anyway cool yeah i think that about sums up ces uh mark any final thoughts any uh thing to glam on to uh, I would recommend that everybody, everybody go to autoweek.com and uh, uh, search CES and click on my stories repeatedly all day. In fact, get a robot that just clicks <laughs> on my stories. Uh, you could, there's probably one made at CES. Don't say that. They'll find a robot to write our stories for us. Yeah. Well, we're doomed anyway, Reynolds. So. Uh, you, you guys, you and my age are for sure. Ren's Wesley got some, Ren is going to He's got some life Wesley left Ren in him. He's going to dance on our grave. I know he will with a with a – with a Mexican band. Oh, the mariachi band is uh, scheduled. Yeah, but, uh, the, the playing the cucaracha. The, 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 date is, uh, the date is on our graves. Mobile. But thank you, Mark, uh, for joining us. And thank you, Mr. My Randall. My pleasure. Thank and you, guys. Now to cars. We are back with some cars. Talking the cars. Talking the cars. Man. Mark really laid out CES for us. I'm really looking forward to those flying helicopters that we will eventually all commute in. That's going to be an exciting time. Uh, CES, don't forget, it definitely exists. But you're here with me still, uh, Graham still, Andy still, hello, and someone who's not here often enough, I say on the podcast. That's really sweet. Uh, Mr. Patrick Carone. Patrick. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, we are now an NPR affiliate. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But you're here to talk about some cars with us. You, I am. You drove a car. I did drive a car. Which is a, a very, I would say at this point in time in history, an interesting car 
that could not exist in the future. I don't know. The SL 550, the Mercedes, uh, two seater grand tour, uh, the exquisite. Not just that. Mine was the, uh, the grand edition. Ooh. And I guess it doesn't get more grand than that. It doesn't get more grand. I guess because this is the last year of this generation. Yeah. So, you know, I guess they've done it with a few models, but, uh, yeah, I was riding in extra style. Did your, this is a bit of a deep cut. Did you use the, uh, auto dimming glass, uh, Sun- roof magic sky control magic sky control did not oh man that's my favorite feature but uh tell us tell us what your thoughts on the car well first of all it's unlike you guys it's um not so uh normal for me to be able to get test cars because living in new york it just sucks i believe that <laughs> a lot of people screaming that they're it's, walking there and it's terrible and to get anywhere that's even like not clogged with traffic you have to drive drive at least an hour like over a bridge through a tunnel it's just so it was to very, grandmother's house to grandmother's house we go so it was very nice to have the opportunity um i actually drove this car for over a week all around california uh drove from la to joshua tree to palm springs to san diego and um it's pretty much the car that you want to be doing that in yeah you went it's, on a grand tour almost went on a grand tour and you know that's how this is how you want to be rolling around palm springs oh absolutely it's you know the perfect car for that what color was it it was this um it's a special black but it's a little bit lighter very shiny um okay i was gonna go silver palm ultimate just blend. well <laughs> thinking gold Bla- okay, Bla- yeah, black is a shade champagne. of silver if you really think about it <laughs> it actually has this kind of interesting like black brown thing going on which oh, i don't mind um in yeah. the seats and in the interior um that's sort of it's like aesthetic or whatever um you know so it was fantastic the only time that it wasn't the ideal car to have was so have you guys been to joshua tree i have not actually no wow we, yeah <laughs> you'd think I had not been. And so it's really interesting because it's almost like there's like two completely separate like ecosystems there. Mm-hmm. So there's the one that you sort of picture with the actual like Joshua trees. But then there's another one that's um, more of a cactus deserty kind of thing. But the one with the trees was super snowy. So anytime that my wife had to go to the bathroom, which for some reason was pretty often, we had to go off the main road. And that is not a car that you, you know, mm-hmm. want to be <laughs> driving around, especially like not only is it like very narrow parts that yeah. are, you know, not completely snowy, but it's very uh, congested. Yeah. And so you can't like turn and stuff. It is a little bit uh, harrowing. So that, that was the unfun part. But you do look like a baller when you're driving an SL55 in those situations like, yeah, what, what's whatever yeah exactly well well that's the problem because then if you do get into a bad situation it's a, it's a you yeah. look like a real <laughs> asshole yeah you know you're like oh you're the guy who's in this and you paid the extra five grand for the grand edition oh, or whatever yeah. um you know it's it's a great car you know it's it's definitely like feeling its age a bit and it's interesting too like sort of in the mercedes lineup because you know there's other options now there's like an s-class convertible um, and then there's the, uh, was it the, uh, the GT Roadster? Yeah. Which probably depending on what you want to do, th- those might be the choice. I mean, I love that AMG GT in all of its forms. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot more extreme than the, I mean, you're it, right. They, they've expanded the lineup to have kind of both ends of the spectrum, you know, the, the really hardcore AMG GT and the even boatier S-Class convertible, which I really like. But yeah, I mean, this thing was kind of in the middle because it was, 
you know, GT was big, but not S-Class big. Even in the AMG form, I don't know when the last AMG SL we got was, but it we was, had, we it was had never a like years ago. hardcore like the AMG no. GT. So, yeah, I guess what is the purpose of this? Um, yeah, it's not a hardcore car by any means, but it's got it, all the power you want, but mm-hmm. it's not... The SL65, I will say, is hardcore in one area. The price. It was like a quarter million bucks <laughs> for a, a two-seater. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was hilarious. But speaking of price, how much was this SL55? What were we tooling around in? Uh, this uh, came out to 123000 So, mm. yeah, that it, package... Is, is that, that a lot? It seems almost reasonable. You're getting into S-Class Cabrio territory there. They're all sort of the same price-ish range, yeah. I think. Until you start tipping into the AMG world, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what would be, the competitor to this would be, would you even put 911 Cabriolet in there? I I don't know, because with a lot of the Ben stuff, there's not really, in that price range, a super direct competitor. Yeah, there's, that's not as luxurious as uh, this. Like it's not as an, Yeah. An F-Type, you could put an F-Type maybe that's convertible. Pretty, that's more AMG GT. Yeah, that's a pretty rough riding yeah. vehicle, too. But yeah, that's. I don't think there really is a SL competitor out there, which I mean makes it interesting. What is, makes it what interesting. Does BMW Cadillac have? still make the Elante? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the Cimarron too. <laughs> what does BMW have in that range anymore? Have they killed off the? I mean, it's, this is kind of a vanishing segment of the yeah. market. Yeah. Like the, the market. You know, there are other vehicles um, that are probably filling the same role. Uh, maybe like the crossover coupes potentially for this kind of weird. I don't need practicality, but I want comfort in this brand thing. So. Yeah, you either want the super boaty, the super hardcore, yeah, and the in-betweeners totally. are kind of getting killed off. So it's kind of sad. That Spe- is sad. What's my of- West Palm Beach grandpa supposed to drive? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of coddling, though, uh, it does literally you know, hug you when you turn, which yeah. is the, uh, yeah, my wife loved that feature. That's a little disconcerting the, the first time you've Oh, yeah. 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 Well, so especially yeah. in this uh, Me Too era, bolstering. you know. You got to be careful. Yeah, yeah, you can't just start grabbing. This a car goal. gets a little handy. Well, also, uh, the first time I drove a car with the air bolsters, I thought I was losing my mind. Yeah. I was like, "Are these? Is, is this changing on me? Am I crazy? What the? What's going on here?" And, and what they're describing here is that some Mercedes actually the seats inflate when you corner in order to hold you firmer in the seat in that direction, and then rapidly deflate. It's a it's a strange sensation if you're not expecting it. Yes, it's a strange sensation if you are expecting it. Yeah, then you just get used to it, and then you can't uh, can't live with that. It's true, yeah. I never got used to it. <laughs> when you hop out of your SL55 into your Elante, you're just like, where did my uh, <laughs> where did my billows in my seats go for my bolsters? But uh, overall, did you like it? Would, would you it. buy it? No. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, beyond the fact that it's absolutely expensive, yeah, unobtainable. I don't think that that it's what I would go for, but it's the perfect car to drive in these situations uh, although you know it's not the best because we were gone for so long we had a lot of luggage mm. and so we couldn't actually drive with the top down okay yeah while we were yeah. going from city to city because it it just compromises it's probably good for a weekend trip mm-hmm. but we had like you know Stuff. suitcases yeah and it's great that they fit in there but when the top is down uh no you dice know, no dice and there's like really no room even like there's like a little bit of space in the back maybe you could throw like a like a man bag back there mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's definitely limited in that sense. Um, so you have to wait, get into town, then you put the top down. Well, uh, you have your assistant get your things out of your car. Exactly. You drop the top, you go to a golf course, you go to a beach, you go to uh, yeah. any number of vacation destinations. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. No, it was really fun. 
moving on, we also had a bit of a luxury liner here. We had two luxury liners, but I couldn't find the Monroney of the one I really liked. Uh, we had a pair of BMW 8 Series. We had an 840 and an 850. Uh, these are Grand Coupes. These are Grand Coupes. That's so right. These yeah, these are, are the, the four-door four -door version. And uh, at for thirty thousand less than than the Mercedes. Now, granted, these are not Grand Editions. These are just Grand Coupes. Right. Uh, big difference there. Um, you know, you get something that you can drive. Uh, you know, I think it gives probably a lot of the same performance as the SL, but uh, that you can fit a lot of luggage in, plus three people in a pinch. Um, these actually have sort of uh, coupe-like back seats with a, a console in the middle, but they still had three seat belts across the back. So I was able to squeeze three um, pretty interested young uh, middle school boys, my own. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should probably qualify this. Yeah, yeah that's get in uh, trouble. But the, you know that that was uh, you know it pretty pretty interesting fit in that car. Um, it's not designed for three across in the back, but it can be done. But there's a seatbelt for it. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, but there's no leg room for it. Could you sit in it? Uh, I, again, could versus would. Yeah. Yeah, but in a pinch, I could I could make it work. Um, but yeah, I have to say that the 8 Series and the 2 Series are my two favorite BMWs. I'd have to agree with you. Yeah. And and this Grand Coupe, as much as I don't understand BMW's naming conventions, why are even numbers not just two doors and odd numbers four doors, this is a beautiful car. It drives uh, phenomenally well. It, it integrates a lot of BMW's technologies um, more seamlessly than what I've experienced in maybe a 7 before and, and just feels planted all the time um i like the six cylinder in the 840 better than the 852 the, the v8 and the 850 um was almost a little too too jumpy um, it was think, it was pretty peaky yeah, pretty I, jumpy i think the six really complements this car well and if you don't um if you don't mind the 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 you know whatever the penalty in cachet of having two fewer cylinders this is the this is the one to get so. well i definitely felt that when i was driving around yeah. I, the, the the having that 40 on the deck lid i felt yeah, I know. I, I hid embarrassed. my I hid my head in shame. Embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. I, but naturally, I would have debadged it if it were my own car, which I should have done anyway, so to save myself the calamity of being judged. Well, and both these cars had the rear, um, the the rear wheel steering too. I don't know if that's optional on these or not. I'm looking at the. Uh, the, the old window uh, sticker, the window sticker right here, but um, and I don't see anything on it. But if 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 it is an option, it's it's one that I recommend on these cars. Um, it, it really shortens the wheelbase. Yeah, you, know, it, you can just zip around turns. Um, so and you noticed it in uh, regular drive, very much so. Yeah, it's once you, it, it's a little disconcerting at first, but once you're used to it, um, you, you learn to take advantage of it. What I thought was interesting between jumping out of the 840 or out of the 850 into the 840. Uh, is there multiple versions of iDrive? Because I could not get CarPlay to work in the 840, but the 850, everything worked perfectly. I don't use that newfangled no. um, CarPlay thing. So you have the cassette that you plug. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was, I was the CD player. I got my CD stuck in the. Yeah. Yeah. You have your eight disc changer in the back. <laughs> but I just I it's thought a BMW. It's not supposed to be. Well, a sixteen disc changer. Eight, it's an eight series BMW. You're supposed to have a six disc changer in the back. Man. So the the question that. I kind of ask, and I know other people are going to ask, is why this and the 7 Series? I mean, is it just a style thing? I mean, there's that backseat penalty. That seems like the biggest thing, the coupe, coupe or whatever, roof line I thing. never even thought of that question, actually. Really? Because, yeah. I mean, having spent just one night in the 840 as well, I said, you know, I, I kind of like the way it drives. Um, probably some of that was the rear steering. Um, 
I wish the seven rode a little bit more. I, like it's almost like they dialed up yeah, the boatiness of the seven. And I spent, a, I did a road trip in a seven maybe four months ago and was very disappointed by that car. And that's the strange thing. I kind of expected this to feel similar and these, they feel like completely yeah. different vehicles. Every eight series I drove has been fantastic. Yeah. It, so. The, the two doors look like Mustangs, but short of that, they are fantastic to drive. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Sticker price though, one hundred six seventy five as it sits, and that's with uh, um, several options. So it starts out at about uh, eighty eight thousand. Wow, that's a hundred percent increase. That's yeah. Well, I mean, it's a BMW. What we haven't you? gotten <laughs> one, we haven't gotten one of those in a while. The hundred uh, percent options. Increase. No, one hundred comma change, yeah. six seventy five. So twenty grand from eighty oh, oh, to one hundred. Okay, I thought I thought you were saying one hundred and sixty. I'm like, wow, that, no, that's one hundred okay. comma six seventy. Oh well, in that case, yeah, going down it's to the a dealership. After, I, yeah. I can't afford not <laughs> right. to buy one. Drop it's, me off at the Mercedes dealership. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's, yeah, well, it's like a, <laughs> that's like what you get some seats extra. Is a, that's two features. I'm just kidding. It's a, it's a long list of a yeah, added and, and it's M Sport package, comfort seating, a bunch of stuff that you can determine whether it. The heated steering wheel is fantastic. It warms up pretty quick. I, I loved that car. Do you think people would go into a BMW dealership and like be deciding between? Oh, God, the two? No. They wouldn't be at all, no. right? They're going to point at the one they want on the lot, yeah. and they want to drive it away that day, mm-hmm. and they're going to sign on the bottom line for whatever lease payment. These things are not being purchased. <laughs> they're being leased. Well, it depends on the person. Sometimes a person will go in there with a large Cash, quantity of money. Yeah, that, Cashola. That probably happens sometimes, but I suspect most of these vehicles you see out there are X number of dollars Oh, yeah, per for month sure. For, for sure. 36 months. But yeah, did, what do we thought? Do, do we do we like it? Did we want one? Did we, would, we, would we buy? Yeah, it I, I could. I'd be perfectly happy having this as a daily driver. Would you buy it over an S class? Yes. Interesting. See, I mean, I I wish this. I, I wish the seven drove a little bit more like this because I I kind of like the seven's presence. Yeah. Um, but this the badging did, on the seven's atrocious, though. I don't I, I don't really pay much attention to badges. That V twelve badge on the C pillar looks so. You don't good. have well, to yeah, get, get a, the twelve. You don't have to get a twelve. We're talking but, about a six. Uh, maybe you don't. Yeah, I mean, there's some parts of it I like. There's like some really nice little details in the in the cabin, like yeah. the the start button. It's something weird to geek out about, but it had this cool like almost like crystal refraction thing going yeah. on. Um, there were like really nice little touches, um, and genuinely, I haven't been that impressed with BMW interiors until this most recent generation. So, they're stepping things up. I, I don't know, and it's the, still not really. They won last year. They won the yeah, the sales no, thing. Sales. That's all just. Yeah, I don't think that's because how of many the, vehicles uh, they sold to their own dealerships. But the, the allegedly, the, having worked in dealerships, <laughs> yeah. But the, and to your point on the S class, the S class is a great car for people who who want an S class. But it's yeah. it's a technological marvel almost to the detriment of the vehicle itself. Sure, um, I agree with that. This is this is truly a driver's car in some ways, and that's something I I still need in my luxury car. Yeah, I'd buy one if I could afford it. But the final car that we're going to talk about today isn't actually a car. What? It's a truck, um. which is a car with a bed. I don't care what you say, listener. I'm just kidding, listener. Thank you for listening. But the Nissan Titan, the new Nissan Titan, uh, we all drove it. Uh, I didn't drive it. Patrick didn't drive it. It was in Detroit for a couple weeks. I drove in it. You, you, yeah, you rode in it. That's right. Yeah, I, I took you to the hotel, your hotel, the Shinola Hotel. If you're in Detroit, Shinola, it's a hotel now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did not get paid for that. No, we did not. We did yeah, not get paid we need for to that. Talk to somebody about that. <laughs> Uh, I spent a lot of time in this. You truck. did. You used it for truck stuff, I which did. is which I, is an odd thing to do. Yeah, I actually did manage to. So this is the the big cab, you know, full size rear yeah. with the five and a half foot bed. 
um, which I loaded up with, uh, I don't know, 600 pounds of pre-finished hardwood flooring, trim, everything, you know, all the works. I'm refinishing a back room. So I did put it to use um, through one of the weirder, iciest weekends um, that we had in, in Detroit lately. It was no fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, it it does everything I wanted it to do. It just, this is the 2020. It's, it's a it's, refresh. It's a refresh. It still feels like it's 10 years old. And I said basically the same thing about the last Toyota Tundra that I drove. You know, there's nothing wrong with the truck. It just is completely outclassed by the stuff coming out of Detroit. And I'm not just saying that because we're in Detroit. I mean, I think the numbers that are being bought reflect that. I mean, yeah. they did manage to add some more tech. It has a more modern um, infotainment system in it. Um, other than that, it's a pretty modest refresh, a nine-speed automatic. Some more horsepower to the V8. Right. Still the same fundamental V8, though. Which is, sounds great. Sounds great. I think it's one, that's one of the best-sounding truck engines on the market. I mean, as I was driving around with the uh, little rear window open with 16-foot baseboard <laughs> trim going out, I got a pretty good uh, taste of the engine note. Um, and this this was the Pro 4X kind of beefed up. Yeah. Um, with that weird camo yeah, desert got, color, which, got, is, which good. is cool. Um, it also has some weird bits of plastic here and there on the tailgate. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of compliments in the Home Depot parking lot. Um, still not about sh- the truck. About or? the truck. Okay, I'm still not sure if that means that I was being asked on dates yeah, by guys yeah. or if they genuinely like the truck. I I go to Home Depot a lot, but I'm very much not part of the truck life thing. I'm going to say one of both. Yeah, could be. Um, you know, it it's hard because it's like. Comparing it to the Ram, it looks it looks like a rental spec truck, but also Ram is the best truck interior ever. Yeah, ever. So I don't know. Your mileage may vary. We were talking about the price. It's TBD for the 2020s um, as of recording this. But for this truck, the way it was built, um, without a lot of really, I mean, it did have the the premium package. So um, the Fender audio system, vented seats, a very loud Fender audio system. <laughs> Um, and a moonroof, but I'd expect it to be maybe a little bit under 50,000, which is kind of where the 2019 um, is yeah, sitting. Pre-refresh. So, you know, you can spend a lot more, as Andy pointed out, on these um, Detroit trucks. It's very easy to crest $60,000, it seems like. So, well, that happens almost accidentally. Yeah. Right? You I mean, so, what do, you, what do you want? I mean, well, and, and, and you could make the comment that your mileage may vary. I also yeah. spent a weekend in it, and I did some truck stuff, but I also drove it to Ann Arbor um, in, you know, zero traffic, basically. So it was it's wide open 40 freeway miles. running. Yeah, about 40 miles each way, um, and only averaged about 16 and a half miles to the gallon. It is so, thirsty. You know, I got I got that hauling a U-Haul trailer mm-hmm. in the Ram Eco Diesel. Um, so it's that's something to consider that the, the even with the new nine speed, which it's a smooth powertrain. Yeah. But it is not particularly efficient. You pay for that sound, huh? No, that's yeah. a, that's a U-Haul trailer with a van on it. Well, I, I got closer to fourteen with the van. Oh, okay, on it, but still, that's an air that's break. pretty shocking. You know, even though I had the truck for a long time, I did not put many miles on it. I was mostly just doing around sure town, yeah. yeah, stop and go to and from the hardware store type stuff. So I didn't really get to keep track. But that is that is bad. I mean. You know, I, relatively speaking. And um, I had it switched. It was in two-wheel drive, um, mm-hmm. and it was reset before we left. So it was not a you know an average after five days of city drive. Yeah. So That's not great. But, I mean, that Endurance V8 is on the older side of things. Yep. Uh, it endures. It, it does endure. And as far as I'm concerned, 12 miles a gallon. I don't care as long as it sounds good. We just crank the compression right. up a little bit and maybe <laughs> so, it'll run 93. 
this is one of the questions that we had when when this thing was coming out that the refreshed version because we've we've been in a lot of titans both non-xd and xd and yeah. cummins you know late the dear departed uh cummins rest in diesel peace. package trying to figure out what it would take to to take it to the next level and you know people are saying oh it doesn't have a fancy tailgate which you can get on the ram or the gmc's i don't i don't care about the fancy tailgate myself i think maybe they just haven't been building full-size pickup trucks long enough I, maybe. maybe i don't know what the what the secret formula here is that um again nothing wrong with it if i had one i, I don't think there'd be anything day to day it rides a little rougher that's the one thing i'll say even compared to it feels like a truck non-air ride um truck like the, yeah. the 1500 again the ram probably head of the pack there um but even compared to more base level chevys and f-150s the ride is the one thing you know with nothing in the bed you get a lot more bounce and hopping and yeah stuff like that would i care i got a good day? amount of wheel spin too just well, like accelerating off corners that's because you didn't have the uh the hakapolita you know that's yes yeah, that's true and you were also in uh two-wheel drive yeah of course i was yeah. in, in the ice yeah. so um your mileage may vary <laughs> as well you were trying to spin the wheels no i mean i was i was i had places to go graham i was i'm a very busy boy but i, I will say did, did the ram just reset everything is 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 perception of trucks now just skewed I mean, because that ram is so good? No, it was the it was the culmination of where things were heading. They just happened to have the all new thing um, at the right at time. the right time, and then the Chevy the Chevys from what I've seen just have not gone as hard at the luxury stuff as as Ram did. We'll yeah. see how that the new F one fifty is just around the corner too. Yeah, so I don't know. It, it's tough because we're spoiled by driving a bunch of very maxed out. Yeah, um, luxury trucks basically, and then you get in something like the Titan, which would have blown minds twenty years ago, even ten years ago. And I don't know, what do you guys think? It's nothing bad, but nothing super impressive. And in that truck market, you kind of have to be impressive, I think, to sway anybody away from a brand they're already attached to. I want to check out this Ram. The interior is really nice. It's it's uh, really nice. It is yes. on the the lower trim ones. It's like passable it's fine on the hide trim ones like laramie longhorn and limited it's, it is exceptional yeah it is uh it should not be in a truck you would not expect it from a truck i guess i should say it's cool and there's more more uh cabin space than uh, a mulsanne extended wheelbase right? i think you have to get into like the the r.i.p mulsanne um you know rolls royce phantom mulsanne uh realm to get yeah that it's, much room it's in the like back. a business class cabin yeah and bigger than some apartments. And especially Definitely in, my especially apartment. in yeah. New York City. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it would be like four or five grand a month in New York worth of uh, apartment space. It's, <laughs> we, it's, it's about in, that in payments right now. Yeah, that's true. Especially if you get the exp- expensive one. Yeah. How but, did the flooring project go? I still haven't installed the flooring. We're going to probably do that this weekend. When I, I, I'm going to have the uh, uh, Chevy Silverado 2500. Not to haul anything; it's just going to be parked in my driveway, <laughs> kind of for moral support, as I do the because I already hauled everything home in the in the Titan. It's just to um, let people know yeah, that there's projects there's going on here, manly stuff yeah, going on. To have feel you, a little extra masculine? Yeah. yeah. Kind of have you tried throwing a pack of empty cigarettes, like an empty cigarette pack, in the bed through Ooh, the window? No, I should. Yeah, that's definitely the. That's how I do all my truck tests. If I can nail the the bed from the driver's window <laughs> with an empty pack of Marlboros, then I know that's a good truck. You know what I realized though? Why don't they sell beer at hardware stores? I 
When I went, pick I got up a all personal the, injury the lawyer. Work, might okay, love I was that. just say liability no, insurance. By the me. case, you know, you don't have to be able to drink it there, but like, you know, I'm picking up all yeah. this flooring and stuff. I'm about to do in the case work. of Budweiser, not a sponsor. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Yeah, that's, that's a Titan. <laughs> Uh, I liked it. I maybe liked it more than Graham, but I, I guess I see where you're coming from. Andy, your thoughts? I'm busy writing the business plan for my hardware slash liquor store. <laughs> well, I liked uh, pulling up into the hotel yesterday. And it nice, was, yeah. Uh, gave me a little bit of cachet with the valets, yeah. Oh, cool. They, yeah. they were like, ooh, that's a strange Uber you got They were there. like, is that Wesley Wren driving you? Is that Not weeks? a big deal. <laughs> Not a big deal, guys. Come on. <laughs> but with that... Closing this one out. Thank you, Patrick, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you, listener out there, for listening. And remember, like, subscribe, drop us a review. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>